Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. book of Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 4 and verses 18 to 19. Once again it's from Colossians 3 1 to 4 and also 18 to 19. At the end of the reading I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you respond by saying thanks be to God. Verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Taiwo. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. It's nice to see some new faces, but it's nice to see some faces I've not seen in a while. So thank you all for coming. My name is Femi. We've been looking at the book of Colossians. We intend on going through the whole book. One of the things we found out is that the book you can divide into two big sections. The first section has to do with our vertical relationship with Christ. And so Paul went, um, the writer Paul went on and on about explaining who Christ is. And he summarizes that at the beginning of chapter 3. But 3 to 4 is really about how we then structure those important relationships in our lives in light of what he's explained in 1 and 2. All right, so how, what, what does this mean to my uh, uh, marriage? What does this mean to my parenting? What does this mean to my work? Okay. I want to ask you a question, a sincere question. What is the difference between D and E? D, D and E. You know what I mean by D and E? All right, so one difference we say is that one is a vowel, one is a consonant. All right, but that's, that's too, you're getting too complex. What, does, what comes after D? E. So really, the difference between D and E is just one single spacing in the alphabet, right? So it's just one single space, because if I said D and Z, for instance, it would be 22 different spaces. So you expect huge differences. So it's just one single um, space between the alphabets. You don't expect that it can achieve much if you change from D to E. Well, it depends. Let me tell you something about a friend of mine called um, uh, Sashin. All right, Sashin, an Indian guy. I'm using facetious names because I don't want to reveal the guilty. I asked Sashin, we were, we were living together. We were studying together. We were both studying in university. So as a typical Nigerian, because I knew what I was going to do after the master's, I said, oh, Sashin, what about marriage? Sashin was like, marriage? Oh, as in, what are you going to do about marriage? He now says, oh, that, he doesn't really have to think much about it. Because after his master's, his parents have picked the person that he's going to marry. And that he trusts the judgment of his parents. So he's going to get married to the person that the parents picked. What do we call that? Arranged. An arranged marriage, right? Arranged marriage. Let me tell you of another friend of mine, also who I met in the UK, right? His name is Buddy. So Buddy calls me one day and says, ah, Femi, we need to see. I said, okay, we need to see. That's fine. And then he says, but we need to see at a, in a particular park. Ah. What's, what's Can't you tell me? No, he said, no, it's really serious that we have to meet in a park. You know, when people start saying, no, let's meet in a public place. Ah. Start thinking, when when did I meet this guy again? How much do I know about his? All right. But I went, I went. So, but this sits me there. He says, ah, Femi, I'm in a lot of trouble. Like, a lot of deep trouble. 
And I should say that he didn't use the word trouble. He used another word, which I can't repeat from the pulpit. All right? But he was in a deep mess. And I said, why? He said, there's one woman that is extorting money from me. You know, the Bible talks about strange women. That's what Buddy was. He said she's been extorting money. I'm like, ah, Buddy, how is a woman extorting money from you? He said, well, you know, after I finished my master's, I couldn't find a job. And if I don't get a job, I can't stay in the UK. So I needed to stay. So a friend of mine introduced me to a lawyer. You know, when you bring in lawyers into some things, it's always complicates issues. So the lawyer introduced me to a lady. When I was introduced to the lady, somehow we found ourselves in the registry, you know, marriage registry. I don't know how. And after the marriage registry, I realized that I had signed a document. And so the woman and I, you know, were now together. But I did it only for the purpose of getting my stay in the UK. Unfortunately, things haven't quite worked out. But the woman keeps asking me for money, except if I, if I don't, she's going to expose me. First thing I said to him is, buddy, sure you know you are married. He said, I'm married. I said, yes. Because in Nigeria, we call that what? I what? You see, you change the D at the end to E. The difference between a D and E is the difference between an arranged marriage and an arranged marriage. For some people, arranged marriages are okay. Arranged marriage, can I say, is never what? But you see, those two concepts really help us with the start of the marriage. It's the arrangement of people for the start of the marriage. And we invest so much into the start of marriages. That's why. Weddings, we spend so much time, energy, money, renting a beach, uh, you know. What's wrong with you people? I, I mean, somebody cannot even just talk about generalities again. May 24th, see ya at the beach. All right. But we invest so much to the start of the marriage. And here's the thing that is quite damn about society, is that we don't invest enough time in how the people are arranged in the life of the marriage. We think so much about how it's arranged at the start. We don't give enough time to thinking how the people are arranged in the life of the marriage. And that's what this whole text is about, really. Because really, the Though it's, our focus is in 18 and 19, you have to understand that 1 to 4 controls everything. What do I mean by that? Paul summarizes all that he said in chapters 1 and 2 in this 1 to 4, which is the vital aspect of the Christian message, the gospel. What is it? It's the news about Christ. Notice he says four things about Christ. That Christ died, you see, that Christ rose from the dead, that Christ is reigning, and that Christ will return. Those are the four things. And I want us to say that together. Christ died. Christ, died. Christ rose again. Christ, rose again. Christ, is reigning. Christ is reigning. And Christ will return. That's the gospel. Now, if that's true and you believe that it's true for you, then when Christ died, you died with him to the world. When Christ rose again, he made you alive in Christ. 2 verse 13. If Christ is reigning, then you are living under his rulership. That's very vital. I explained that. And then if Christ returns, he says, we will appear with him in glory. So what this whole thing is about, what Paul is saying is that if Christ truly is reigning, then how does it affect all these your vital relationships, your marriage, your parenting, and your work? Because in verses 18 to uh, verse 18 all the way to 4 verse 1, where he treats those three, the word Lord or Master appears seven times. In other words, he's saying you can't just live your life as though something else is your, world, is your Lord in this life. Don't live in an earthly way. That's why he says if Christ truly is raised from the dead, then set your mind. Have a mindset that is coming from above, not from earthly things. So when he says in the text, we don't mind earthly things. He's not saying don't care about marriage, don't care about your work, don't care about your children. He's saying 
do not apply worldly earthly principles or don't behave as though the gospel has not happened. Behave as though the gospel has happened and then apply it to these earthly relationships. Amen? And the first one he wants to treat is marriage. And so what we're going to do today is that we're going to look at that. We're going to set a foundation. We're going to treat it in two, in two different sermons, all right? So this week, we're setting foundations. Next week will be a bit more practical. So we've titled the sermon, Rearranged Marriages. And we'll look at it in three different points. One, poorly arranged marriages. Two, um, fittingly arranged marriages. And three, gospel arranged marriages. Poorly arranged marriages, fittingly arranged marriages, and gospel arranged marriages. All right, so let's start with the first one. Poorly arranged marriages. Go to verse 18. Wives, submit to your, yourselves to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> now, some of us cringe at that first instruction. Let's not lie, right? Let's, let's just be real. Many of us don't like verse 18. And we don't like verse 18 for one word. What's the word? Submit. How many of us have heard that word, submit? Especially in the context of marriage. Especially in the context of church. You know, submit. How many of us have heard people use that, 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 um, that word? Right, yeah? How many, how many of us has that word been used upon? All right, okay, okay. But some of us would say, look, this, uh, this word... Um, and this instruction can lead to all manner of evils. And quite frankly, maybe some of us here today will say, I have seen untold suffering in many marriages, especially to the women because of this. And it is here in the Bible. This is quite frankly why I stopped being a Christian. Or why I cannot become a Christian. Because of female suffering in marriages. Now, if you're that person, I'll say one thing first. Is this. The Bible actually anticipates that. Notice in verse 18 what it says to the husbands. Not only does it say, do not uh, love your wives. It says, do not what? Be harsh with them. The word harsh, the Greek word that is used there, when used in other Greek texts, because it's not a common word used in the Bible, it means, really, it's derived from rulership that comes with domination. Rulership through domination. So it's saying, don't be harsh with them. Why? Because the Bible is so aware of the reality of female suffering in marriages, of these domineering um, activities. And I don't think we talk about it well enough. Particularly, most of us are, and let me even say quite in the church, we are very familiar with physical abuse, right? And most well-thinking people you know, whether you don't like it, whether you like it in your heart or not, you, you know, society demands that you shouldn't, you shouldn't um, um, approve of such. Here's what we don't talk about well enough. We don't talk about psychological and emotional abuse. And when the Bible is here talking about domination here, it is encompassing all of these things. How do we know when people are in abusive marriages, or how do we spot an abusive person or an abusive spouse? Well, I'm helped very much by um, a Christian counselor and author called Leslie Vernick. And um, I want to adapt five points that she gives as to how we can identify an abusive spouse. I want us to think about what this thing isn't first before we go into what it is. So, if you want to know whether uh, an abusive spouse in an abusive emotional relationship, let me give five. One, abusive spouses have little to no regard for their spouse's feelings, needs, or hurts. Feelings, needs, or hurts. They have little to no regard. Do you know why? An abusive spouse or abusive person's highest value is to get what they want. Like a song that says, I know what I want. And I want it now, right? They want, it's what they want. What they want isn't really the flourishing of their spouse. But it's usually what the spouse can give them. In other words, the spouse becomes an object, whereas they, uh, they, they humanize what it is they want. So to get to what they want, 
they have to use that spouse as an object. So that when that spouse resists, when the spouse says, this is how it affects me, they are deaf to it. And in order to get, if you are in my way, I'm just going to bulldoze you because I need to get to what I want. The kind of treatment, the kind of words that are being used. You know, people call their wives names. God told Adam, you will name your wife, right? And some people, the way they speak to their wives, I mean, the words, you don't literally forget that they apologize after, but these things are piercing. You are nothing. Why can't you get out and get a job? Why do you look like that? Why, why is your head this way? You know, use terrible things, they say. Because they care very little for their needs, for their feelings, or their hurts. They have something else that they want to get, and usually their spouse is in the way. Second, an abusive spouse, abusive spouses have an absence of true guilt over what they've done. You know how it happens. You know, as the Bible says, um, God gave Moses uh, 11 commandments, right? Remember? Right? The first 10, we know all the first 10, but most of you don't know the 11. The 11 is, thou shalt not be. All right. So this guy breaks the 11th commandment, right? Because you can pretend like though it never happened. But now he's caught. Let's say he was cheated on his wife. And now he's caught. You know, most guys that have been caught when they're cheating on their wives, most of the people, and I've seen them, you know their first reaction? They cry. They, like, they, I'm talking about crying. I've seen guys I've never seen cry before. All of a sudden, they start bawling. How could, how could I? And the officer, how could I? How, how do, how do? Honestly, right now, the first couple of times I saw it, I used to feel emotional. Now, if I see a guy who's, who's caught, right, and is cheating, he starts crying, crying, I become immediately skeptical. I just become immediately skeptical. Like, All right, okay, dry your tears and let's talk. <laughs> really. Because most times we mistake sorrow for guilt. And they're not the same thing. You know why most of them are crying? It's because they got caught. And so what they do is normally before they got caught, they like to control with their power. They like to control their wives with their power, right? They like to dominate them. Now, when they get caught, they've lost control and they've lost power. So in a way to reestablish control and power, they cannot, uh, to establish control without power, they now use sympathy. So that when people say, ah, oh, that guy, you know, oh, we used to look up to him. Oh, he messed up now. Ah, oh, but look at how sorrowful he is. Can't you just forgive him? But how do you know this thing isn't true? Because when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, most times you try to be pure with their actions. They will promise, and that's the next thing they do. They cry. The second thing is, ah, I will never do it again. You know that advert, Baba Blue. It was, a, it was, a, it was caught in court. The person was defending him, and then he was acquitted. Even though, and Then when he came out, he said, ah, Baba Blue, I swear I'm not going to do him again. I have seen men swear they immediately, at that point, because they were caught. And three weeks after, they don't shout on their wives. Never. Their voices are low. On the fourth week, the voice just raises up a little bit. You know, just a little bit. You know, the wife says something. He wants to, you know, this kind of. All right, let me. Fifth week, it's now about, she says something, you say it back. Right? It's a quality with established parity. By the seventh week, he starts getting irritable. By the tenth week, he's back to his domineering attitude. In other words, he was sorrowful just enough for the pressure to get out. Once all the people have left, he's back to his own self. That's an abusive person. An absence of true guilt over what they've done. Third, an abusive spouse has the uh, abusive spouses have the mindset that they are fine and it's their spouse's problem if they are unhappy with them. It's always their spouse, their spouse that has the problem. Many times, I meet people whose marriages are really bad. And it's the abused person, the person that is constantly being abused, that eventually says, I think we need to speak to a pastor. Or let's speak to somebody mature. And you know what the abuser says? Yeah, yeah I think that's really good. I think you should go for counseling. You know, because the problem is that you just don't, you just don't, you know, submit well enough. 
So maybe they would be able to fix you, but I, I have no problem whatsoever. Fourth one, an abusive spouse abdicates responsibility for their own messes, for their own messes. It's always everyone else's fault and not theirs. And they always find a way of blaming their spouses or circumstances. You know, it's your fault or it's someone else's fault or if not that, I have so much pressure at work. So much pressure. Or you ain't giving yourself to me emotionally. I will never forget, in 2003, I went to a church in England I wasn't living there then. I was visiting. Now, what was happening, I didn't know at the time it was until I got there. It was one of the largest black churches there. And I'm not even sure I was a Christian at that time. No. In 2003, I wasn't a Christian, all right? But I used to still go to church. But I went there. There was a scandal. The pastor was caught cheating. Now, churches, we know how to do PR repair jobs. So they brought in this one of the most famous female preachers in Nigeria at the time. I will not call the person's name. And I will never forget the woman said this. She said, if my husband, and I have to say this to all women, if my husband was caught cheating, if my husband was caught cheating, it would be my fault. She was espousing something that a lot of abused men already embraced, and she was actually giving them more power to do so. They would always find a way to show that their own mess should be attributed to their spouse or to a circumstance. And this is why they have no guilt. I know someone who was caught cheating. I went to meet him after I'd done a bit of the crying, and I said, let's talk. I said, what happened? We spoke, I allowed him to speak. He spoke for 45 minutes. Told me how, he gave me the history of their marriage, even before they got married, up until when they got married, and told me how no matter what he does, how he tries, that she's always been emotionally distant. She doesn't give herself to him. He's done everything. She doesn't want to talk at night. She doesn't want to do this. I then said, he said, also, there was a time that he discovered that she was having an affair. I said, how? He said, well, there was a note by a guy that, that the, uh, who she was dating before she dated him. And that note sort of indicated that the guy still liked her. I said, OK, and? He said, what do you mean? That's enough proof, isn't it? I said, really? So he put all of this together. This dossier, for 43 minutes, after he finished, he then said, and then what happened, what happened? That's his own part. Where he was caught red-handed, trousers down. He said, but then what happened? It was really, really, it was actually really the woman that you gave me. It was really her fault. Finally, abusive spouses exhibit wrong thinking patterns and attitudes that aren't open to revision. Why? Because they view themselves and they view the world, the view of themselves and the world is really according to how they see things. They are the highest authority of what right and wrong is. They are the highest authority of what true and false is. And so you know the problem with that? In fact, when I am counseling um, premarital uh, people, well, not, not necessarily close by, but if someone comes and says, ah, I have this guy, blah, blah, we've been seeing. You know one of the questions I ask the ladies? Who is he accountable to? Like in church, is there anyone that you know can speak to him? Who is he accountable to? Because people who see themselves as the arbiter of true and right when there is a problem and you try to tell them, let's go and meet this person, they'll always find fault with the people. At the end of the day, it's how they view the world that is ultimately the way truth and, uh, truth and falsehood or right and wrong is determined. That person is on the way to being an abusive person. Now, with all of these things I have said, can I say this? If you've read the Bible at all carefully, 
And you think by reading these two verses that the Bible supports this kind of behavior, can I suggest you need to go back to primary school level of reading literature? Because the Bible teaches about human flourishing. It teaches about relationships, flourishing in relationships, and it teaches about the flourishing of marriage. You cannot read this and think the Bible endorses abuses. And if you're an abuser here, can I just say this politely to you? You're a coward. You abuse people, especially your spouse, because they are vulnerable. You can't really take on people your own side your own side, so you look for people who are weaker than you to be able to dominate. Now, I think if we look at these verses clearly, if we look at these verses deeply, because some people say, okay, if the Bible then encourages all the flourishing they are talking about, why give us this command that is so lopsided in the favor of men? And I think if you look very clearly, as you see in verse 18, when he says the woman should submit, he says as it's fitting to the Lord, you would see that this is actually a fittingly arranged marriage, which brings me to my second point. Fittingly arranged marriage. Hmm. Now, if you look in verse 11 of chapter 3, verse 11 of chapter 3, what does it say? It says this. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What is he talking about? Paul is saying, remember all that he has established in chapters 1 and 2, and now this summary in, in, chap, in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. He's basically saying, in this new humanity in Christ, right, we are equal. Irrespective of our ethnic differences, Jew, Gentile, Greek, uh, barbarian, Scythian, irrespective of our differences, none is. Irrespective of our socioeconomic status, slave or free. Now, in a, parallel, in a passage that's very similar to this in Galatians 3, verse 28, it not only talks about Jews and Gentiles, slaves or free, but it also says male and female. That when we are in Christ, our ethnic differences, our socioeconomic differences, and our differences in gender, all those differences do not matter because when it comes to um, testing our worth because we are all one in Christ. Do we, are we clear on that? But some again would say, all right, I get that. So why is it that seven verses later, it says it seems to favor women, uh, men over women? Now for us to treat that, can I say, all right, those verses are the trees. Let's step back into the forest, all right? Those verses are the trees. Let's step back into the forest. How do we do that? If you look at verse 9 and verse 13 of chapter 3. So we're just looking at chapter 3, all right? If you look at verse 9 and 13 of chapter 3, as Dami and Demano have shown us, let me read what they say. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. So do not lie to, bear with each other, and forgive what? So what's it saying? If you're going to live in the community of Christ and you want the relationship, you want our experience to flourish, here's how we treat, uh, here's how we treat our relationships. I need to live for Bimbo, and Bimbo needs to live for me. Notice, each other. Do this to that person. Hanato needs to live for Victoria and Victoria leads to live for Hanato. In other words, Hanato should not serve herself. Victoria should not serve her own self. If our community is to be able to flourish. Is that clear? I hope I'm not reading that into the text. We need to forget, uh, think about the other person above ourselves. So when it says, wives, submit to your Husbands and husbands do what? Love your wives. What it's saying, at least from the forest level, is that if your marriage is going to flourish, here's how you should treat your relationships. Wives are meant to live for their husbands. And husbands are meant to live for their wives. Amaka is meant to live for NATO, and NATO is meant to live for Amaka. Do we understand that? In other words, it's telling them to do the same thing. Live for one another. 
Those verses are telling them, do the same thing. Live for one another. Do not serve yourself. But it's telling them to do the same thing in different ways. Now, why is it telling them to do the same thing in different ways? You know why? And this takes us to the very beginning of the Bible. Because men and women, husbands and wives, are the same, yet they are different. What do I mean? When God created this world, and he created land, sea, sky, he then started to create creatures, living creatures that move. So he says fish in the sea, birds in the sky, animals on the ground. He created all those creatures. Fantastic creatures, he says they were good. But then he created a unique creature distinguished from the others. Why? Because he said, I want to create this creature in my image. What creature is that? Mankind or humanity, right? So this mankind is created in God's image. That is where this humanity, this human race gets their value from. Because this entire human race, all of them, are created in God's image, they have infinite worth. Are we following? At this point, there's no distinction. It is humanity. The mankind is not male. He didn't say, I have let us create males in my image. He said, let us create mankind in what? Our image. In other words, mankind together, the same, whether male or female, they are the same. They have equal worth because they are all created in the image of God. They are distinct from the other creatures. However, when you then come into that humanity, he says, I have created them male and female. They are now different, not for their worth. Their worth is tied to their image bearing of God. And in that point, they are the same. So that when it comes to their difference, it is their roles become different. And we see this. Why? In all aspects of our lives. Take biologically. We see the sameness and difference. Take biologically, right? Um, um, Funlade, if I take Funlade and I take um, Nanke and I put a goat here. You know a goat. You know what a goat is? Nah. Right? Right? In fact, and I ask, um, which two are the same and which two are different? I take, I take male and female goat, right? I say, which two are the same, which two are different? What would you say? For those that don't like Funlade, you say the male goat and the guy, right? <laughs> For those that don't like him. But what you say is that you put Funlade here on one side and you put Nanke, right, on the other side. Why? Because even just biologically, they have two eyes, they have one head, they don't walk on all fours, they walk on two legs, they have two hands, right? They are structured the same biologically. Differently from the goat, they don't have fur, all of those kinds of things. They are the same biologically. And yet, when you look at two of them, you will say they are what? Different. Why? Because just even take our sexual organs, they are different, right? Women are more, generally more curvy than men, right? We are, um, the, our voices are usually different. You take the chromosomes, right? A woman, both of them have XX chromosomes, but that's the same. But then they, they have, the women have two Xs and the man has Y, different. Or even take psychologically and um, sociologically. Men and women are different. We, we think differently. We really do think differently. Guys, let me ask you something. How many of you understand women? Women, let me tell you something. There's one thing we understand about you guys. One thing is that we don't understand you. We don't. We understand ourselves, men, but it's, 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 clear, it's so impossible to understand you guys. So we're very different. Like even in my marriage, for instance, in my marriage, we, we act differently. In my marriage, my wife, you know, especially since we got married, my wife just doesn't see any guy as handsome. Like, she doesn't. She has, I, all, she's, every, every guy, according to my wife in this church, is ugly, except me. You understand what I mean? 
That's the way she sees. No, no, no. Please don't judge my wife. Now, I'm able to see other pretty ladies. Do you understand that? But it's our difference. Psychologically. Oh, my God. Victoria has left. <laughs> now, what then happens is after the creation, sin comes into the world. Man falls because he wants to be like God. Now, though they both are corrupted, the same, they are now both banished from the presence of God. They now seek after their own things, the same thing. But at the same time, they were also uniquely corrupted as well, according to their differences. In fact, so that when God was pronouncing judgment, he gave them two different things. And in fact, one point he says, this is go going to be your character now. You, woman, will seek to rule over your husband, and he will dominate you. Here's what happens. Sin uniquely corrupts us, so that the man who is the more powerful sex will tend to use his power to dominate the woman for his own self-interest. The woman who is the less powerful sex will want to use her own gifts to manipulate the man for her own self-interest. All of a sudden, the union that was meant to work together when they think about them, the other person, is now working together, but they are thinking about themselves. That leads to disasters. And that disaster we've been bequeathed for the last 2,000 years. And in order to try to uh, respond to these disasters, there have been different, non, I would, well, different responses, and I want to touch on three of them. One is, mod, uh, two, one is traditional, the other two are modern. What's the traditional one? I've already spent a lot of time on it, but I'll just say a few things. It's called patriarchy. And what patriarchy means, it does, is that it accepts the differences, rejects the sameness. It emphasizes the fact that men and women are different, and then it exploits it. It doesn't like to talk about their equality. Men and women are the same, and therefore have the same wealth. It looks at the difference, and then try, establishes a system where they are superior, and the women are inferior. I have a definition for patriarchy is this. Patriarchy is a socially oppressive system operated by men with the goal of maintaining male dominance, how? By stifling the flourishing of women, denying them reasonable opportunities to grow at best, and subjecting them to various abuses at worst. What is the goal of patriarchy? To continue to perpetrate the dominance of men. And what does it do? It does this by not allowing women to flourish through two ways. Either you don't give them reasonable opportunities to grow, or you're actually subjecting them to various abuses. And most of what I talked about before is patriarchy. And we see this. It's established in our, it's established in our societies and many times established in our churches. I can't forget um, a particular uh, pastor who happens, his special ministry is in marriage, marriages. And one time he was giving sound advice. He said, look, the reason why a lot of marriages fail is largely because of even designation. How do you designate yourself? That a lot of women, when the Bible says, when Abraham said, called Sarah, Lord, you'll be calling your husband baby. Is he a baby? No, and I know some of you in this church, you do it. I've heard you say babes to your, oh, sorry, that's my, my wife. All right, let's, no, let's turn back. So you, your husband is your Lord. That's why some of you, you would serve the food. There will be five pieces of meat there for you and your husband. And you know what these women would do? The man would take one, she would take one. The man would take another one, she would take another. There will be one left. You know what the woman would do? Insolence. She would not want to divide it into half. That two of them should have. This is why marriages are failing. He said, and I quote, and I think he's right, the man should have four pieces of meat. And if the children have not had any, you share it with the children. Why? Because he's your Lord. It's not, it's not an you see, it's submission. It's, it's knowing your place. You women, honestly, your throat is too long. You 
able to take two and a half pieces of meat? That is patriarchy, not just practiced outside, but being established in the church. Terrible. Second one is on the opposite spectrum of patriarchy. And I call this secular, a radical secular feminism. Radical secular feminism. Why couldn't I make it just one word like patriarchy? Sorry. There are different types of feminisms, so many types of feminisms. And actually, I would say some of the types of feminisms are good feminisms, which would say things that the Bible will actually approve of. And so I wanted to distinguish radical secular feminism. This one accepts the sameness and rejects the difference. In fact, many radical feminists will say that gender, well, we can, we can accept biological sex right, in our bodies. But gender is a social construct that is used for the oppression of women. That gender doesn't really exist. It was created by, uh, because of patriarchy so that when we know that we are different, one is, going to be said, one is going to say, take your place, and the other one is going to be able to oppress them. In fact, the, one of the most foundational radical feminists, a French woman uh, philosopher called Simone de Beauvoir says, you are not born a woman, you become one. It is one of those quotes. You say, hmm, wow, very, very deep. <laughs> Profound. Profound, but unbiblical. What she was basically saying is that it's a choice for you to accept that, that this social construct. And so that the solution that we need and we have, the reason why we have this tension, the solution is the liberation of women. That cannot happen with any input of men. Why? Because they are the enemy. And so the way we will liberate women is to bring down all these oppressive systems. Number one, marriage. Especially Christian type of marriage. Why? Because it... It emphasizes this construct, and it puts women in their place. Submit to your husband. But you see, the solution here, the problem with that is that the solution here does not, it's not a solution for all of humanity. It's a solution for just one part of humanity. Now, the third one is what we can call egalitarianism. What do I mean by egalitarianism? Well. In egalitarianism, this form accepts both the difference and the sameness, but it relegates or redefines that difference. It relegates, redefines, or even somewhat ignores the difference. What it says basically is, yes, there are differences, but you mustn't say that we should have different roles because the roles, the, view of, the value of the roles is also tied to my worth. The value of the road is also tied to the value of my wealth. If you say one has to be head, that means you are saying that that person has more wealth than I do. In this way, even though I would say that egalitarianism has a lot of admirable traits, in this way, egalitarianism is very similar to patriarchy by this. It actually accepts its same terms. You see, patriarchy accepts that the roles actually have something to do with wealth. And so it exploits it by saying, oh, we can't allow women to be there. So we have to be the head, and then we exploit them. Do you see? What patriarchy exploits, egalitarianism wants to ignore or redefine. It says, no, we have to be co-heads. Because roles, as important, roles are so important, um, it ties our function, really, to our value or our worth. Patriarchy is self-serving. I think radical secular feminism doesn't really understand sin because it only attaches the sin to the system and to the men. And then I think egalitarianism doesn't fully understand our humanity because it relegates our differences. And I think what Christianity then offers is what we can call complementarity. And by complementarity, it's saying 
you are the same, and yet you are different. And those things matter. So what it does is that it addresses the unique way the, the men and the women tend to want to be sinful. It's saying, look, you men, because of your difference and because of how sin has affected your difference, you know what you're going to want to do with your power? You're going to want to dominate and serve, and serve yourself. So you know what you should do? Turn your domination into sacrificial love. And you women, you may want to manipulate you know, to be able to get your own thing. So what are you meant to do? You want to walk around God's arrangement. No, turn your manipulation to sacrificial submission. This is really important because this is not what it's saying. It's not saying that when it says husbands should love their wives, it's not saying that women should not love their husbands, is it? No, you find that in other parts of the Bible. Women should love their husbands at all times. But why is it that it was to the man, it specifically said, love your wives? Why? Because men, with their power and their sin, will tend to want to love themselves and dominate their wives for self-gain and for self-love. Is it that the man should not submit to the wife in their areas of competency? No, men should submit to their wives in many things, especially where they are more competent than they are. But why then is it specifically speaking to the woman to submit? Why? Because it knows the tendency of the sin of the woman will be to manipulate, go, uh, manipulate and go around God's order to be able to get what they want. And so complementarity respects our sameness, respects our differences, but also is aware of sin and then restores God's order by saying marriage should be about serving one another in love. Amen. Well, that brings me to my third point, because there's something more, one more thing that we should say. And third point is gospel arranged marriages. Now, I think Christianity says one more thing that distinguishes it from all other things. You see, when Jesus returns, there will be no marriage. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 19. And yet Jesus is reigning now. So what Christianity says that even in the new humanity, because we would only be perfect when Jesus comes, when we are perfect, there will be no, no need for marriage. But right now that he's reigning, we are not perfect. So what Jesus says is in this new humanity, being in Christ, I want you to do something that is the same and I want you to do it in different ways. Remember, in this new humanity, it's all about being in Christ. So what's the same thing they are meant to do in their marriages? Be like Christ. Be like Christ. But be like Christ, that's your sameness. But there are still differences. So be like Christ how? In different ways. You see, when he calls Amaka to submit to NATO, you know what's, what he's really saying? Amaka, be like Christ in the gospel. When he calls NATO, love Amaka sacrificially. He's saying, be like Christ in the gospel. How do I prove this? In Philippians chapter 2, it says this about Jesus Christ, verse 5 to 8. Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See what's happened. Jesus... God that became incarnate, what did he do? He was sent on a mission to rescue us. But to rescue us, he was going to suffer eternal punishment on a cross. That was not easy. But do you know what he did? He submitted himself in humility to his Father's will. At the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, if this thing is possible, can this, that is this mission to the cross, because he was going to suffer the sins of the world, the consequence of the sins of the world, he said, if it's possible, let this thing pass over me. 
That would have been him serving himself. But later he then adds, he says, but not my will, but your will be done. At that point, he was submitting. And he submitted all the way to death so that he could save others. And he says to women in marriages, be like Christ in the gospel. Sacrificially submit for the good of your marriage, for the good of your husband. Be like Jesus Christ. And to the men, he says, love your wives. The other time he uses, the only other time in the book of Colossians he uses that word love is in verses 11 and 12 and 13. And at that, he was using this word agapao. And this is what he says. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, loved by God, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He says, you are loved by God. And how do we know God loves you? Because God forgave you. How did he forgive you? How we know that? God forgave us because his son went to the cross out of love for us. That is, he laid down his life. He laid down his comfort. He laid down his own desires for the good of others so that they may be saved. And he says, husbands, do that. Be like Christ. Love your wives as the gospel shows. I hope you guys understand what this arrangement is showing is a gospel arrangement that takes care of all the inadequacies of egalitarianism, patriarchy, and secular, a radical secular feminism. Where those ones are inadequate because they did not understand our humanity, because they do not understand sin, and yet is still self-serving in domination, this one takes into consideration our sameness, it takes into consideration our differences, it deals with the issue of sin, restores us to saying, live for one another. How does it do all of this? It points us back to the gospel. Now we're going to work all this thing out a little bit, well not all, but see how that practically affects our lives next week. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus Love people Love Lagos